We read the Word of God together this evening in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the verses 18 through 25, which will be the text of the message this evening. In the opening 17 verses, the genealogies of Jesus Christ through his stepfather Joseph are traced to show that legally he stands as heir to the throne of David. Now we come to verse 18. And these words that we read will be the text tonight, 18 through the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then... Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Children, I could not be happier tonight that I am sent of God to preach to you the story of our Savior's birth. It is called the ever-wonderful story. It never loses its splendor. It's the story of how God took all of our sins and cast it forever behind his back. It's the story of how God, by grace alone, saved us through the only one in whom is salvation, his own son, his divine son, God of God, in our flesh, that we may have life in him. It's the truth, it's the story that gives amazement to our hearts. This is not a made-up story. This is a true account of Jesus' birth. We find it in the Holy Scriptures. And I want you to listen. I hope to be as plain as I can be so that you will understand what I say. But I don't only want you to listen. I want you to believe in him. 
and to know him as your Lord and Savior. This is how it happened. That's how verse 18 starts. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, that is, in this way, or simply, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ happened. Very plain, very straightforward words, and yet so beautiful and so profound. Matthew, along with all of the other gospel writers, Mark, Luke, and John, all have their own way of starting their gospel narratives. Each one of them are looking at a different audience that they're speaking to and choose how to begin their, epistle, their, their message on the birth of Jesus. John gives the theology. John gives us that doctrine that we call the incarnation, which means that God came into the flesh. John emphasizes that Jesus is God of God, not part of God. He is God the Son. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the revelation of God, Jesus, and the Word was with God. He was a person alongside of God, and the Word was God. And this Word, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Luke emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, emphasizes that Jesus is a real man, just as you and I are humans. He was human, only he was without sin. In Luke, we have all the details of the birth of Jesus Christ. We love those details. We learn of all the people who were involved at the birth of Jesus, Zacharias and Elizabeth, John the Baptist, their son, the angel Gabriel who came to the Virgin Mary in Nazareth, the shepherds who worshipped at his cradle, Simeon and Anna who longed to see the Savior, a heavenly host, all of those stories. Luke is very tangible. He tells us that the highest one came down to be the lowest one, to stoop so low under our sin and filth to bring us to God. Mark, in his gospel narrative, just gets right into it. He starts right into the ministry of Christ. When you read Mark, you find Jesus is 30 years old, and he's preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark wants us to see Jesus as the Lord's servant who has come to do the work of God. Mark 10, verse 45 is the theme. The Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be ministered to, not to be served, but to minister, to serve us and give his life a ransom for many. But Matthew, who's Levi, the tax collector, is a Jew, and he's writing to his fellow Jews, and he is intent to show that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Messiah means promised Savior, the Christ, the one sent of God in fulfillment of all of God's promises. Matthew writes to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises that we study in catechism. 
the promises beginning with Adam and Eve and the mother promises, mother promise, and all the promise through the whole Old Testament. Matthew says, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those promises. Fifty-four times he quotes the Old Testament. Four times in the opening chapters, Isaiah 7, 14, that we read, Micah 5, verse 2, the scribes and Pharisees tell Herod that he will be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Isaiah 11, verse 1, when they have to flee to Egypt, he quotes that God will call his son out of Egypt. Jeremiah 31, 15, when the babies of Bethlehem are murdered and the women are weeping. All the way back, every promise of God Jesus Christ. Matthew wants us to know Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every promise that God has ever made. So we look at the birth of Jesus Christ, God's promised Savior. We'll briefly, we'll briefly explain how that happened, that he was born, who he really is, and then why he came. Matthew brings us, when he's going to tell us how it happened that Jesus Christ was born, it was on this manner or in this wise, he begins immediately by talking to us about a Jewish wedding and the practice of Jewish weddings. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when his mother Mary was espoused, engaged, we could say, to Joseph before they came together as a husband and wife. She was found to be with child, and Matthew adds, for, so that we would understand, that we the readers would understand, of the Holy Ghost. Jewish weddings began with an espousal, which is somewhat like an engagement, only much stronger than an engagement that is made today. In an espousal of the Jews, vows were spoken to each other and a legal agreement was made that they would be husband and wife so that Mary was spoken for. Vows of faithfulness had been spoken. She is, um, we read that <clears throat> Joseph, verse 19, is her husband. Those vows had been extended. But in the Jewish culture, the marriage was not consummated. They had not yet come together as a husband and wife sexually. And that was because after the espousal, the girl would return to her parents' home and the husband would go to prepare a home for his wife and he would have to have an occupation to support her, and he would have to work for a dowry to give to her parents. And when all of that was arranged, he would come, and he would take her. And first he would take her to a ceremony, a wedding feast that could last for a number of days. And when that wedding feast was over, then the groom would take his bride to his house and their marriage would be consummated. They would live together physically 
as a husband and wife. Now, verse 18 tells us that it was during those moments of espousal between Mary and Joseph, before the wedding and before they came together, that it was discovered that Mary was pregnant. She was with child. She was found, we read. Before they came together, she was found with child. That is, it became apparent it became noticeable that Mary was going to have a baby. We're not told how it became found out, how it came found out. We don't know whether Mary perhaps told Joseph of the appearance of the angel Gabriel to him, to her. It could be that, if you remember, Mary, after the angel came to her, went to be with her cousin Elizabeth for three months, and it could have happened when she came back that it became apparent. We're not told those things. There's many questions in the Bible that we would like to know, but the Bible tells us only what we need to know. And what we need to know is that Joseph knows that she is with child. Mary knows that too. And Joseph knows that the child is not his. And Mary knows that too. And she knows that the child is of God. They must have both gone through very difficult, hurt, confusing times. We're told that Joseph was a just man. He was a fair man. He was the right man to marry. He was a good man. We're told in the text that he spent sleepless nights praying to God to know what he ought to do. And we're told that at that point, after he sought God, his mind was toward terminating his marriage, his espousal with Mary. Then Joseph, we read, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put Mary away privately. He was concluding that she was unfaithful to him. We read that he put her away privately. There were two options that the law of God gave to Joseph. He could put her away publicly. That would mean that she would be brought before the magistrates. She would be put on a trial. She could even, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, she could even be stoned. But Joseph loved her. So he could also quietly write her a bill of divorcement. He had struggled through that. And he thought it best that that's what he should do. But while he was thinking on those things, as he slept, as he would turn them over in his mind, while he was thinking, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your lawful wife. And that word behold in the Bible always means stop. Listen, God's going to speak. There's going to be a wonderful moment that God is going to come in and to explain things to us. 
We experience those moments when we go through struggles and tears, maybe trials in school. We cry out to God or our mom and dad talk to us and the word of God comes and a wonderful truth comes to our mind. So Joseph now is being directed to what God says about this. And an angel appears to him. Behold, 400 years that God really had not communicated to his people since the prophet Malachi. But now an angel comes to Joseph. And he gives him first a word of direction. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary, thy wife. Marry her. He tells her that she's going to have a son. That this son must be called Jesus. And that this Jesus is going to save all of God's chosen people throughout eternity. He's going to save them from their sin. He is told that by marrying Mary, he must adopt Jesus to be his legal heir. Then he's given a word of explanation. He needed the word of explanation. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, something that had never happened before. Mary had been impregnated by the direct work of the Holy Spirit. In the words of Gabriel to Mary in Luke 1, verse 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The Holy Ghost shall envelop thee, surround thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God the Holy Spirit had conceived the life from the flesh and from the blood, from the egg of Mary. God has now impregnated that by the work of the Holy Spirit so that a human baby is alive from her flesh, but not from a man, but from God, so that this flesh is holy and without spot or wrinkle before God. And we read that Joseph obeyed the word of the angel. Verses 24 and 25. He took Mary to wife. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called his name, Jesus. He took her to his house. But he did not know her. He did not live sexually with her. He did not live sexually with Mary until after Mary had given birth. This is not what the Roman Catholics say, the perpetual virginity of the Virgin Mary. That's not true. The Gospel narratives, Matthew and Mark, point out that he had at least four, four brothers and at least two sisters. 
But that's because of what God had foretold. A virgin shall conceive, and a virgin shall bear or give birth to a son. Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus, not just a virgin, when he was conceived in her womb. There was nothing of man involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is a real man. He's from the flesh and blood of Mary, who is a descendant of David. That flesh and blood had been impregnated through the work of the Holy Spirit so that he is God's sinless child. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. That's how it happened. A virgin conceived and a virgin gave birth to the Son of God in flesh. There was nothing of man that brought it to pass. His birth is not just a story of a poor child in poverty. It's not the birth of another man among men, a normal man. He did not, he was not born and then he was so good in his childhood that God finally conferred upon him sonship and made him perfect. It didn't happen that way. This is how it happened. God, in fulfillment of his promise, according to his divine will, came upon the Virgin Mary, selected by God himself, blessed among women, and God made her pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And that life was perfect. That's the way it happened. You must believe this. You must believe this because Jesus must be a man, a sinless man, if he is to take your place and bring a perfect payment to God. For since by man came death and sin, by man, one like you, exactly like you, yet without sin, by that man must come life. But the mystery gets even more when we see who he was. When we see that Jesus Christ is not only a sinless man, but that he has two natures, that he is God, that he is both at the same time very man, but now in a wonder as well, he is very God, that God the Son joined himself to that human flesh without division, without 
mixture of those two and without division or separation, God the Son joined himself to the flesh of Mary. The divine Son of God joined himself in the person of God's Son so that Jesus Christ is man of man and he is God of God. We read, now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Matthew knows that his Jewish audience would have known the amazing prophecy. One of the most amazing prophecies of Christ's birth in the whole Bible. Isaiah 7.14. Remember with me the story behind that prophecy. It was wicked King Ahaz. Wicked King Ahaz of Judah who had put idols in the temple. Wicked King Ahaz who was fretting and worried because the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria had combined to make war against him. He was trying to figure a way out by making allegiances with other nations. He was out riding his horses with his generals as they went around the walls of Jerusalem. He was trying to fortify himself when God sent Isaiah to go stand in front of him holding the hand of his little boy. And Isaiah confronted him and told him that he would not prosper unless he put his trust in God. Unless you believe, said Isaiah, in God, you will not be established. But Ahaz had a hard heart. And he said to the prophet, oh, I don't want to tempt God to ask for a sign. And then Isaiah said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. God's going to give you a sign. A sign of what? A sign that salvation is of the Lord. A sign that God must be with us and God must be for us if we are to be saved. So the one born of Mary is the Son of God. God, Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son now united the divine nature, united with the human nature that the Holy Spirit had conceived in Mary. God of God, light of light, eternal God, joined to the human nature of Jesus Christ. These two natures remaining separate and yet united in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God, the Son, when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, 
God became something he was not. He took to himself, to his person, what he had not. He took the human nature conceived in Mary's womb to himself. He united himself. God of God, divine nature. He united himself in his person to the human nature. Now follow me carefully. And he united himself to that human nature never to relinquish it. He took the sinless nature, human nature of Christ, and he joined himself to that sinless human nature. Martin Luther puts it this way. He became what he was not so that we might be made what we are not. That's what happened. And that's why we worship Jesus Christ. I'm not introducing anything that's not in the text. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. 1 Timothy 3.15, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Two natures, a human nature, man of man, sinless because of conception by the Holy Spirit of the very flesh and blood of Mary. And at the same time, eternal God, cherished of the Father, second person of the eternal, of the, of the Trinity, God the Son, the darling and the love of God's triune heart. Son of man and Son of God. Don't stumble at this truth. This is the truth behind the whole ministry of Jesus. It's the truth behind the cross. It's the truth behind the resurrection. If he is not the Son of God in flesh to bear our sins, then all his life and all his miracles and all his ministry and his death and his resurrection, if he's just another man, it doesn't mean anything. A merely historical person called Jesus doesn't mean a thing. He's just another man. But he's not. He's the Son of God in the flesh. So Jesus asks, as he asked Peter and his disciples, Whom say ye that I am? And by faith, we say, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. My Redeemer, my Savior, the only one who can save me. His birth was on this wise. This is how it happened. He is Emmanuel. He is man and God in the person of the Son. He is God with us. He is the proof that God is for us. 
and that God is in us as our Savior. We ask the question, why did the eternal Son of God, why did God do all of this? The answer to that question is found in the deep, deep heart of God. Because it was the only way that his people who he chose from all eternity, only way we, only way any sinner can be redeemed from the damnation of hell which is ours from our sins and be brought to him. And so God calls him Jesus. The name Jesus explains why Jesus came. It means, as you know, Jehovah's salvation. Matthew wants to use this word because the Hebrew word for Jesus is Joshua. And Matthew knows that Joshua, in the mind of the Jews, would immediately bring to memory the man who brought Israel into the promised land of Canaan. The land of Canaan, which was a picture of the final covenant rest of God's people. Joshua was the captain of the Lord's host. Joshua went before and conquered the land. Jesus is given. He is not given to conquer a land. He is not given to give us a pleasant life. In fact, the very opposite will be the case if you confess the name of Jesus as your Savior and you live to Him in your life. It will not be an easy life. But Jesus is given to conquer our sin. You have a great enemy. You have a horrible, ugly, powerful enemy in you. And it brings terrible things. And it's worthy of God's eternal wrath. It's called sin. It's called your and my sins. Plural. There's many, many sins. Sins because what is seen and done by us, as you know, is only the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole world of evil in here, in my heart, in my thoughts. There's a whole world of sin in me. My sin brings misery and pain and suffering. And it makes me worthy of eternal hell. Our sin made it necessary that the Son of God be born in human flesh, that he might redeem us to God. Sin is not an idea 
that older people came up with who don't like to see children have fun. Sin, your and my sin, is why God gave his son. His son, who he loves perfectly, he gave to be in your place. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit conceived that life in Mary, an eternal God the Son joined himself forever to that flesh, that God did one more thing. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. He put it all on him. And he must bear it away on the cross. Sin is why God gave his son. I told you a story once about sin, what sin is like. That when I was in Linden, Washington, a boy of the age of 12 or 13 was riding a four-wheeler. He was on a farm. He came up over the ditch too quick, right over the road, and he was hit by a pickup. He ended up underneath the pickup. It was near the driveway to their farm, and his father reached out, and he was pinned under that pickup, and scraped and broken and bleeding, and he cried out to his dad, Dad, get it off. Get this off me. That's sin. When the Holy Spirit works in you. Get this off. I can't get it off. I can't wash it away. I can't take it away. God gave his son to take them off of us. Everything that alienates me from God, his eternal judgment, he shall take away. He shall save his people from their sins. Who? His people. John 6.35 All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and I will not cast them out. I lay down my life for the sheep, his people are the chosen by grace alone. But they are chosen without reference, without consideration of color, race, background. It is entirely of grace. He has come to save a people chosen out of all the world. He has come to save despicable, awful sinners. The least, the worst of the worst. So that no flesh will glory in his presence. That salvation is of grace. That's what happened. That's the birth of Jesus Christ. You must believe that. When your sins trouble you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you are convicted by the Holy Spirit, you must believe that. You must understand that this is not a story. This is not made up. This is truth. 
that Jesus is the only Savior and that everyone in this room needs him and cannot go to heaven, cannot have rest apart from him, but that God has given him and that by grace, believing in him, trusting in him, living to him, we will have life everlasting. I'm very happy that I could speak these words in the behalf of God. And I speak these words to you, children, and to all of us, and to me, that we might believe them by the grace of God and have eternal life. Amen. Father, we thank thee for thy word. We pray that thou wilt sanctify it unto our hearts. We pray that thou wilt take away all that was of man, and that thou would nevertheless use thy word as a mighty power unto our salvation tonight. How shall we thank thee? Now, Lord, bless us as we continue our fellowship, as we hear our children's Christmas program. We're so thankful for this. In Jesus' name, amen.